I remember the year was 1994. Uh, I was in eighth grade, and I had just ordered my very first CD through the BMG Music Catalog. Did anyone ever do that, BMG or Columbia House? Wow, tons of people. We had like two people in the last service. But it was really cool because like you had to buy one CD, and they gave you like 10 CDs for free. It's like, that's a no-brainer, obviously, duh. So, but what they didn't tell you about the one CD you had to buy, it was like $37. It was just crazy. So I was getting my first CD in the mail. Every day I came from, home from school, and I was like, where is it? Where is it? So one day I get home from school, and I have this brown cardboard envelope waiting for me. And I was so pumped. So I opened it up, and I had my prize. It was the Weezer Blue album. Did anyone have that? Nice, nice. Some 90s music fans. Awesome. But I got it because they had the song, The Sweater Song. But as I listened to the CD, I fell in love with a different song. It was the song, Say It Ain't So. It was one of my favorite songs of the 90s. And I loved that song so much. What I would do is I would get my uh, portable compact disc player out. Anyone have those? Awesome. And uh, I would literally put that song on loop until the batteries ran out. I would fall asleep every night listening to that song. But the weirdest thing happened. All of a sudden the magic started going away. Like the chills that went down my spine the first time I listened to that song, the memories that were evoked, the emotions that it would bring up, all of a sudden just started going away, and it was really frustrating. So I told myself, I was like, okay, I'm not going to listen to the song for an entire day. I went cold turkey for one day with the hopes that I hope when I listen to it again, it's going to, like, get me excited again. So I go whole day, and I listen to it. Nothing. Dang it. Okay. So I told myself, okay, I'm going to go a whole week. So I went one whole week without listening to Say It Ain't So, and I listened to the song, and I knew that feeling was gone forever. And it was so, it was so frustrating, though, because it's like, like, how could I be so in love with something and then grow to be entirely apathetic? And I just began to think about my own life, um, even thinking about that story, like how many times in life have I just loved something so much and then just entirely taken it for granted? Like, what are, the, what are the things in your life that caused you so much joy that now just bore you to death? Because happiness, it's such an elusive thing. It's like trying to hold water. It just seems to slip through our fingertips. We all want it. We just can't seem to find it. And so today, it's our There's an App for That series. So we're going to talk about how are, we, how are we happy? So the title of today is going to be I Enjoy. How can we enjoy life? How can we find happiness? And I believe that the start of happiness, the start of joy, has to begin with perspective. Because um, if things made us happy, we should be the happiest per- people that ever lived. Um, So I'm going to start with this. You should be happy. And the reason you should be happy, the number one reason you should be happy is this. You have indoor plumbing. Seriously. How awesome is that? Like, you have a toilet. Like, that's kind of crazy. Most of the people who existed, who lived on this earth, didn't have a toilet. Uh, I was reading up about it. Until about 1840, you could only find toilets in the nicest hotels or the richest houses. Um, Toilet paper, okay? You have toilet paper. That's pretty awesome, right? Um, Toilet paper wasn't even readily available or used until about 1907. So people have only been really using toilet paper pretty regularly for the past hundred years, 
which is nice for everyone. Let's just put that out there. Um, my little brother is a total hippie. Some of you may have met him. He was in for Christmas. He's a farmer, wink, wink, in Northern California. Um, if you didn't get that, you can talk to me afterwards. But So he's like lives in the middle of nowhere in California, and me and Nicole decided to go visit him one time. And so we visit him, and we walk into his trailer that he lives with like three or four other guys. And I'm like, Kevin, where's the, where's the bathroom? And I'm not even kidding you. He points to a shovel in the corner of the room. Like, that's what they use. That's where they go to the bathroom. It's like, you got to dig a hole outside. I was like, uh, no thanks. Like, so I think me and Nicole went to the Starbucks the next morning. Just had to hold it all morning until we got to Starbucks. It was awful. But it's just this idea, like, if things made us happy, we should be the happiest people in the world. I was reading some statistics, and um, if you make $25,000, you are in the top 10% richest people in the world. $25,000. If you make $50,000 a year, you are in the 1% top richest people in the world. You know, we had this whole Occupy Wall Street thing that happened a few years ago, and it's all about the top 1% in America, and we get so angry at that, when in fact, when we look at ourselves, we're actually, most of us, in the top 1% out of everyone who lives in the world today. And yet we seem to take those things for granted. Um, The fact that most of us have, you know, never gone a day without food or shelter. We have endless drinking water flowing from our taps at just about any moment when there's a billion people in the world that don't have access to clean drinking water. Um, Yet we still seem to find it such a struggle to find happiness. And that's why perspective, the things that we have, should put us at zero. It puts us at the starting blocks where we're ready to be happy again. Um, Christians are annoying, aren't they? I'll just throw that out there. Um, Like, whenever you talk about happiness, it's like, man, I had such a good time last night. Like, you always have, like, that one Christian who's like, I hope you didn't have too much fun. Because whenever you talk about happiness, it's like hedonism. Hedonism being, if it feels good, it's going to make you happy. Um, So they always quote Matthew 16, where it says, you got to take up your cross and follow Jesus. Life is a struggle. Uh, But you know what? I, I truly wholeheartedly believe that God cares about our happiness. I truly believe that God wants us to enjoy life, and it doesn't have to contradict with what Uh, It says in Matthew chapter 16, take up your cross and follow Jesus. So if you guys are up for it, I want to take you on a journey today through this concept of happiness. It's going to take some self-reflection, some self-awareness, and you're going to kind of have to become a little bit of a time traveler with me. Um, So today, the concept that I want to really throw out there of how to be happy, you kind of have to, you kind of have to become three different people in a sense. You have to, you have to think about your past self, your present self, and then you got to think about your future self. Because happiness can only come when these things become in line with each other. Because right now, they're just on different trajectories. They're not really on the same page. Like, we look to our past, and it's like, I'm, I was a different person then. We look to our future, oh, I was a different person. But we need to sort of go on a little journey today. So I want to start in... Um, I want to start in the past. Uh, No, not the past. I want to start in the present. Sorry, let's start there. Um, I always say this quote, and I say it so much that 
Nicole, she just like rolls her eyes every single time I say it. It's a Ralph Waldo Emerson. Life is a journey, not a destination. Um, so often we think about where we're, where we're going, where we're going to end up. Where am I going to end up? Where am I going to end up? And we forget to live in the moment. We forget to be fully present. And so when I talk about the present, I want to talk about the idea of being fully present. Any parents in the room? Woo woo! Give, give me a shout. Where are you at? Okay. So I've only been a parent for about a year and a half. It's pretty awesome. Um, I have the cutest son in the world. Sorry to our other parents, but uh, he's better than yours. <laughs> Get over it. Um, if you know Manny, you would probably agree with me as well. But Manny, he's the cutest little kid in the world, and the thing that I love so much about him, the thing that I love about being a dad is, especially this stage, whenever he hears music, it doesn't matter what it is, he just gets lost in dance. And like you look into his eyes, and his big brown eyes, just they just get so bright, and he's got this huge smile. He just starts giggling and laughing. And you just know there's just nothing but pure, unadulterated, concentrated, full-throttle joy coming out of him. And you just can't help but get, like, lost, like, looking at him. And he stares at you, and you know exactly what he's thinking. He's like, dance with me, Dad. And I hate dancing so much. <laughs> but it's like, I just get lost. So I'm like, okay, man, he will dance. So I just, I dance with him. And... I just, I find myself getting lost in a moment with him. I find myself just getting entirely lost, just getting filled with so much joy. And then he just runs over, he tackles me, we laugh together, and there's no past, there's no future, there's just that moment. There's just that idea of being fully present. And I just, but I can't seem to, I I can't seem to shake the feeling that um, once that moment is over, the stress from my past or the anxiety about the future just, like, hits me all of a sudden. Um, and I want to I share, um, share something else with you guys real quick. Uh, there's a story in the scriptures. It's found in Mark chapter 14, if you have the scriptures available. Um, this is a story that, uh, it's kind of it's crazy. It's a, this is Jesus. He's in a home of some religious leaders. And it says, while Jesus was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Jesus says, Leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She, she did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare me for burial. I tell you the truth. Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. What's really cool about this story is that Um, the reflection on that is you could have all the theological training in the world. You could literally walk hand in hand with Jesus and totally miss a beautiful moment. Totally miss a moment where nothing but unadulterated worship happens and you just keep thinking about, like, the practicality of the situation. Like, that money could have been sold to the poor. And it's just this idea of, like, something beautiful happened in a moment and everyone missed it. 
And has that ever happened to you? Where just a moment has entirely passed you by? A moment where you had the ability to be fully present, but you were just on your phone, thinking about the future, thinking about past anxiety? There's another story uh, that I really love. It's a story about two sisters that were, um, they were preparing for Jesus to come to their house. And so they're both cooking and cleaning and getting ready, and then Jesus shows up, and one of the sisters decides, you know what, I'm going to stop doing this, and I'm just going to go hang out with Jesus. Because it's like Jesus is in your house, that's kind of a big deal. So the other sister gets upset, which I would too. If I was in her place, I'd be like, what the heck? Like, you're leaving all this stuff for me to do? So then she goes in the room, and she talks to Jesus, and she's like, Jesus, tell my sister to help me out. This is kind of crazy. This is kind of ridiculous that I have to do everything myself. And then Jesus says something to her. He says, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Have you chosen what is better? Have you chosen that thing to say, you know what, I'm going to be fully present? Even the idea of being fully present, I've been thinking about this, and I feel like addiction is that uh, longing and that need and that desire to be fully present. Because when you think about it, addiction, no matter what that is, whether it's like alcohol, drugs, television, movies, your phone, Instagram, Facebook, whatever that is, um, it causes you to live in a moment where you can forget about the past for a second, you can forget about the future, and you can just focus in the here and now. But it's forced. It's just like it's violently struck upon us. And I was, uh, I w- it struck me because I was listening to this song. One of my friends, he, he always creates these Spotify playlists. And I really like listening to it because he always finds artists that I've never heard of. And I'm just like, oh, wow, that's awesome. But there was one song that I heard, and it really haunted me. I'm not a super empathetic person, but I remember listening to the song, and I can just feel the pain of the person singing the lyrics. It felt like they captured her emotions in that moment. And I want to read some of the lyrics to you. She says, You're gone and I gotta stay high. All the time to keep you off my mind. High all the time to keep you off my mind. I spend my days locked in a haze trying to forget you, babe. I fall back down. I gotta stay high all my life to forget I'm missing you. I can't go home alone again. I need someone to numb the pain. But Mosaic, we can choose what is better. We can choose to live a life that's free. But in order to live a life that's free, in order to be able to live in a moment fully present, we got to address some of the stuff, some of the skeletons in our closet, some of our past pains, and a lot of our future anxiety. So if you will, go with me to our past selves. Our dirty little past. Um, I was meeting up with a friend this week, uh, a couple weeks ago, and it was, it was a good conversation, and then um, he kind of just opened up to me and started revealing some stuff, some things that he was struggling with, addictions that were sort of beginning to invade and creep into his life, and he was like, man, I need, I need some help. And it struck me, because as he was speaking to me, I literally felt like I was looking to a mirror. I felt like everything he was saying was a reflection of who I was. And I, and I said, I asked him the question, I said, has God forgiven you? And he said, yeah, I totally believe that. And so I said, have you forgiven yourself? And there was just silence. And I think sometimes we, we find that in our life that 
it's easier for us to just go, God, forgive me. But it's hard for us really to look deep down inside and say, I forgive myself. Because we're our biggest critics at the end of the day, right? Like even when someone compliments us, we're always like, no, I suck at that. I'm terrible. Because we just remember all the bad things. We just tend to remember all the negative things from our past. It's such a, it's such a weird, unhealthy thing. Um, but there's a story that has kind of followed me the past decade of my life from the scriptures. And it just continues to just speak to me in uh, just amazing ways. And so I'm going to share that story with you guys. Uh, it's also found in Mark, Mark chapter 5. So the story is Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 24. And it said, A large crowd was following Jesus and pressed all around him. A woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I can be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her sufferings. And then I love this part that comes next. At once, Jesus realizes the power had gone fraught from him, and he turns around in the crowd and asks, who touched my clothes? And his disciples are like, what are you talking about, Jesus? Like, there's like a thousand people here crowding you right now. Everyone's touching you, and you're asking who touched your clothes. Um, And then Jesus just kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman comes forward, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. And when Jesus would have said those words, go in peace, he would have used the Hebrew word shalom. And the Hebrew word shalom, it's such a profound word because it doesn't mean what it necessarily means in Western culture, peace meaning the lack of violence. Um, It would have meant wholeness. It would have meant harmony wholeness in your relationship to God and wholeness in relationship to yourself. And so when we look to our past and when we look to seek forgiveness, we look to come back into shalom with ourselves, shalom with God. And it takes a big risk. It's tough. Um, I'll never forget when I, when God profoundly spoke to me and said, Bill, you've never forgiven yourself for your past failures. You hate yourself. I remember it was, it was really awkward, but I walked into the bathroom and I just looked in the mirror. And I just noticed a lot of things that I never really noticed about myself. I felt like I was looking at myself for the first time. I was noticing those gray hairs, the wrinkles next to my eyes. And I just said, Bill, I forgive you. And even though it seems stupid, something powerful happened that day. Like it actually worked. I began this journey of healing, I began this journey of wholeness, and I began a journey of forgiving my past self. Because I felt like God had forgiven me. But maybe you're here today and your journey of wholeness uh, needs to begin with God and needs to begin with his grace. And maybe it needs to begin with you touching the hem of his robe and feeling a little bit of the shalom, the peace that he has to offer. And those of us who are brave enough to step into our past and to find forgiveness, forgiveness of ourselves, um, forgiving someone else. Um, We can choose to go into our future um, and look at our future self. 
Um, and this is interesting because the concept of happiness, um, it actually, uh, it's not about how much we get in life. Because we know that. Like, we have a ton of stuff. Happiness actually comes from how much we can give. I was reading this article um, in Psychology Today, and it was really interesting because it proposed this idea that kind of was counterintuitive to everything I'd heard, is they said, money can buy you happiness. I was like, okay. Piqued my interest a little bit. Because who has heard that before? Money can't buy you happiness. I think just about everyone in here, right? Um, but it, was, it just wanted to pro- propose, hey, like money actually can buy you happiness. So it pulled me in and I read it. And it actually was saying that money can buy you happiness, but only up to a certain point. Basically, it can buy you happiness up to the point where you can cover your basic living expenses. And then after that, there's no, um, there's no information that says the more money you make, the happier you'll get. But what they did find was that um, after the $50,000 to cover your basic living expenses, they found that happiness came not for how much you get, but how much money you chose to give away. And when we look at a hedonistic lifestyle where it's all about us, and if you do something that feels good, it's going to make you happy, um, and we look at the life that Jesus lived, a life lived for others, a life choosing to give, um, we kind of begin to find the true meaning of happiness. Uh, The Greeks would have used a word for this, and the word is um, telos. And the word telos, it actually means that something has a point, Something has a purpose. It's actually heading somewhere. And so Telos is the reason that we fall in love with TV shows like The Office. Um, So The Office is just about the most mundane workplace. It's one of those situations where it's like, oh, you guys make paper, right? No, we don't make the paper. Oh, you guys sell paper directly to consumer. No, we don't sell it directly to consumer. We just sell it to stores. It's like, oh, you're just a middleman for paper? It's like, that sounds like the worst job ever, doesn't it? Sorry, Tyler. I know you work for a paper company, but don't worry about it. Um, but I think it's one of those situations where we fall in love with the show because we relate so much to that. Because we find so many mundane situations in our life. But where we find our soul on the screen is um, just in the lives that are lived. Just the people who fall in love. We find so many moments that reflect our own lives. Enemies who become friends. And there's so much humanity that comes across because even in the midst of having the most meaningless job, each one of those people in the television show, they find a purpose. They find meaning in their lives. And, I, I, and it's just, it's, it's a reflection of the telos, of finding meaning. And when we think about that verse, Matthew chapter 16, um, I want to read that whole verse to you guys. Um, what it actually says is, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Because the life that Jesus calls us to is actually a lot more difficult. But what if happiness actually came more through longing, more through struggle, than it did through easy When Nicole and I first got married, we moved to Scotland, and we decided to become youth workers at this small church out there. And uh, one of the kids that we just loved so much, his name was Roy. And Roy was the most annoying kid in the world. No joke. It's like every time he would show up to one of our clubs, he would just go crazy. He would go mental. And you're like, Roy, shut up. Like, you're the worst. (laughs) 
And so then eventually, like, he would just leave because me and Nicole would get so frustrated with him. And he's like, I'm out of here. It's like, fine, whatever, you spoiled brat. Get out of here. But what, what we found was, like, whenever that moment was over, Nicole would always be like, we got to talk to Roy. We got we to gotta call him. We got to text him. And we always would because we loved Roy and we wanted to fight for that friendship. We wanted to fight for that relationship. And we did. And what happened is something crazy. Over the four years, Roy never got better. He probably got more and more difficult. And we didn't get more patient with Roy. We still yelled at him. But we fought for that friendship. We fought for that relationship. And what we found was when we left over those four years, like he was one of those kids that we just remember the most. He's one of those kids that when I think about him, like it brings tears to my eyes because I love that kid so much. Because what we find is love is a struggle. Happiness is about doing the thing that we would die for. Like, what is that cause? What is that purpose? What is that meaning that you would choose to give your life for? That's what telos is. That's what a future of hope and of meaning is. Um, one of my friends, he started something in Los Angeles, and it was called uh, Spark Groups. In Spark Groups, it basically was you meet up with a small group of people for four weeks, and over the course of four weeks, all you did is you decided, I'm going to choose to do something that either makes myself a better person or the world a better place this week. Just do one thing. And so it could be as simple as, you know what, I haven't talked to this person in a while, so I'm going to have coffee with them. It can go as deep as, uh, I'm going to forgive my dad for leaving me. Or it can be as risky as, I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to start a nonprofit. And the stories that you hear that come out of it, it vary. It's all over the place. But it's just, you got to take one risk. That's it. doesn't matter what it is, just take one risk. And so as I, as I think about today, and I think about this idea that our past, our present, and our future are totally out of line with each other, what's one, two, three risks that we can take this week um, to bring wholeness? What's one risk we can take this week uh, to forgive an area of our past, to forgive ourselves? What's one thing we can do to step into that place? Maybe you need to forgive someone else. Uh, maybe you need to find wholeness. Maybe you need to find grace and Jesus and shalom. What's one thing, as you look to your future, what's that thing that you would die for? What's one thing that you would do to make the world a better place, if you could? Um, one spark for your future this week. Present. This is the fun one. Choose to be fully present in at least one moment this week. Go to the store, buy an expensive bottle of wine, and just savor the flavor. When you eat food, actually taste it, instead of just eating it as quickly as possible. Look deeply into the eyes of someone you love, and just get lost and dance with them. Because what we find is that with a spark, sparks start fires. And when we choose to take one risk, what's going to happen is that spark is going to start something inside of you, and you're going to find that you're going to be a little bit more whole. What you're going to find is that your past, your present, and your future becomes a little bit more in shalom with not only God, but with yourself. And what's really cool about the word uh, holiness is the word holiness means wholeness. And so when I look at the life that Jesus lived, 
a life sacrificed for others, a life laid down for our friends, choosing a cause worthy of our lives. So this idea of holiness, it's not about sin management. It's not about um, becoming a better person. It's about becoming more whole. It's about becoming more in shalom and harmony with God and with yourself. So if you're brave enough to take that journey with me this week, I invite you to that. Let's pray together. God, I just thank you so much for everything that you have chosen to give us. God, I just, (laughs) the fact that I haven't gone a day without food, a day without clean drinking water, thank you. God, I pray um, today that you will help everyone in this room to do at least one spark this week. Make one choice to become themselves a better person or make this world a better place. God, I pray that you will help us in this journey of wholeness so that we can find joy and we can find happiness, so that we can live freely in a moment. And when that moment fades, we don't have to worry about our past or stress about our future because we know that our life has purpose. We know that our life has meaning. And we know that you're an intimate part of our journey and our lives. So God, help us to be present in this moment and worship you together now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.